Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. My name is Ryan, and I'll be your host for today. This episode is also a little unusual because for the first time, I'm outnumbered. I'm joined today by three people from the development team of an upcoming indie RPG called Quartet. So I'd like to welcome them, welcome them to the show. Uh, welcome, Tyler. Hey, how's it going? And Peter. Hey, hey. And Patrick. Hello. So why don't we get started? Um... You guys are three of how many uh, developers on this project? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> work with a studio called Something Classic Games. And uh, mm -hmm. for Quartet specifically, we have four main team members, us three, and then another Tyler, Tyler Darren from uh, Canada. And uh, we have a art director who's not um, <clears throat> direct stakeholder of the game, but has been with us since the beginning. And uh, we have a lot of incredible pixel artist and uh, map designer that we work with as contractors. Awesome. So um, Tyler, starting with you, what exactly are your individual roles on the project? Uh, so primarily I serve as the game's composer and producer, which basically means I just tell people what to do. Uh, that's half a, that's a half a joke. No, I, uh, writing music, uh, help produce. I, I, um, am responsible for the battle balance. Uh, I create most of the battle encounters, design their skills, AI and test them. Um, but we all kind of wear a lot of different hats. So there's a little bit of bleed. We all have our specialties. Uh, my, my, my unique specialty is as the music composer, which is, I'm the only one okay. who handles that. Um, but we all kind of do a little bit of everything. Gotcha. That's good. That's cool to hear. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, so I'm the, the programmer, the kind of the main programmer. I do a lot of uh, that, making bugs, fixing bugs. Um, <laughs> and, uh, minigame, like I'll, I'll sometimes go into the, the cutscenes and and, and uh, do some coding for like the minigames and stuff like that as well. Okay. And uh, Patrick, what about you? Um, yeah, so um, I am theoretically the director. I write the um, story. And I did the big sort of spreadsheet design um, of all the background numbers and stuff. And So uh, you basically have the Pepe Sylvia board in your office. Yeah, to some degree, yeah. I, I have a lot of references to like obscure like, you know, mythology and stuff that as any JRPG director ought to have. Um, and uh, yeah, and I also build the cutscenes. That's awesome. So guys, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, ordinarily, I'd start the episode by giving a brief overview of the topic we're talking about, which is quartet. But given that you guys are far more qualified to do so for this, uh, why don't you tell everybody about the game? Yeah, sure. So quartet is a uh, Japanese style RPG styled after uh, Super Nintendo classics with sort of a modern twist. We like to call it like a neo J retro JRPG. Just a little bit of a mouthful. And the, the essential <laughs> hook of Quartet is that it's kind of structured like Wild Arms 3 or Dragon Quest 5, games like that, where it, when you start the game, there's a nonlinear structure to the story. There are four stories, thus Quartet, that are played in any order you want. And as you play these stories, you might notice that they are quite different in almost every way possible. They're all turn-based RPGs. They all have the same kind of stats, but they're different in the setting and the, sort of the themes, the music, etc. And then as the game continues through it becomes a very linear game such as like a like a final fantasy 6 so it's basically uh you start as wild arms 3 become final fantasy 6 Maybe yeah so for context uh for everybody listening i found this game on facebook in a in a group called rpg sanctuary probably what like two years ago is roughly when you guys did the kickstarter yeah it sounds right 
Yeah. So I found it because Tyler posted and he was like, yeah, I'm one of the developers on this project. And I was like, that's really cool that we actually have a developer in this group. And my immediate impression was that it looked a lot like um, Live Alive or Live Alive, however the heck you're supposed to pronounce that game. Um, and like playing the demo, I definitely got that vibe. Have you guys all played that before? I have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't play the original like Pete, but I played uh, the remaster that came out a year or so. Ago. Yeah. Yeah. I played um, I played the remaster myself as well, and it, it was a fantastic game. But yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you guys all come together to like make this game? Like, how'd you meet each other? Uh, well, uh, Tyler sent me an email. I wrote, so I, I wrote some books about JRPGs, um, about get, so academic books about the design of classic games. Um, four of which were RPGs. The second of which was on Chrono Trigger, which I think Tyler encountered back when it was the book. I was selling the book from my own website for 50 cents. <laughs> um, and, uh, and uh, he sent me some emails about their their game Shadows of Adam, and I you know I said you know what my opinions were, and they were kind of uh, uh, esoteric and totally off the mark for what they were trying to do. <laughs> but then they made a great game, um, and then you know Tyler and I just kept talking, and then I did uh, like they just needed just a tiny tiny bit of help on the DLC that I did, and then everyone else was really burned out as was very common for after a. Um, uh, a game project, um, an indie game project. Uh, and then a few months later, Tyler, uh, I think got the restless itch to make another game. And I was like, <laughs> I'm down. Uh, like, and I was Very like, nice. you know, I'm just like, I, I basically, I, I think I said something like, I basically have a PhD in JRPG. <laughs> um, and, Pushes uh, up glasses. and like, I, like at that moment I was re-virginized. Um, and, uh, and uh and then Spoist, rebirth yeah it was like i was just like it's just like wow it came back to me like i had teenage acne and like a, a cookie duster mustache all of a sudden and Oof. uh i was i think it was 32 years old when this happened but we just started emailing each other back and forth some ideas for the next game what it could be and that's, that's awesome built from there yeah now now so, how how i got on so, so sorry yeah. um i was about to ask actually yeah sorry um so so i i was a backer for shadows of adam so um uh, and and, and uh, I think I saw a Steam update where they posted their Discord, and I kind of hopped on and uh, you know played the game. And I was just, it was just a nice little. They had a, an indie dev channel on the server, and um, I like prototyping games and stuff in Unity. Um, and so you know I, I, we we chat about games and game dev there. And um, I was I was really really nosy. Uh, I was always asking like, hey, so what are you guys gonna do for this in Quartet? And what about this? And what about that? And um, and so like I I bothered you know Tyler Darren a lot and. Um, and so he'd say like, "Oh, we're using tiled. Oh, we're using a uh, yarn spinner or, or whatever." And um, and so I would go and like download those and make little prototypes with them, and um, you know, show them off. And eventually, I you know, they just kind of reached out to me and were like, "Hey, do you want to work on Quartet?" <laughs> and um, and I said, "Yeah." And uh, so I you know I've been on it ever since. Um, built a lot of the Quartet, and uh, yeah, it's been a blast. That must have been so cool to get recognized by like the people you were giant fan of. Oh, for sure, for sure, yeah. I was a giant. Yeah. I was a backer. Um. <laughs> no, he's a giant well, fan of me. Trust me. <laughs> I mean, I've been there where it's like I get super invested in like a group because I just love their work, and I'm I just like do exactly what you just said. But to actually get like recognized and be like, hey, you sound like you could help us with this. That must have been really cool. Well, yeah, Peter's yeah. being humble, but he's a brilliant programmer, and he's also played every JRPG that's ever existed on this green earth. So, oh dang, 
That's, maybe not, well, I got some not, catching up to do with that. He <laughs> owns them, but he, he hasn't had time to ha- play them all quite yet. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Quartet's not officially out yet, so he hasn't played that. Um, <laughs> I tried not to, but they made me. Uh, so, um, is this is this any of your full-time jobs also, or is this like a side project for everybody? It, it means a side project because it's not paid, but um, I am a full-time game sure. developer. Okay. Do you work on anything else that we may know about that you can talk about? Um, yeah, I think I'm allowed to say what I work on now. Um, I work on My Familiar, uh, The Forge of the Fey. These are all upcoming JRPGs. Um, okay. And Threads of Time. And uh, I just finished a project for Atari called Lunar Lander Beyond, which I was the writer for. That's the only non-JRPG nice. I was working on. When are when when can we expect any of those? Like, what systems are they going to come um, out on? Lunar Lander Beyond does not have a release date. They haven't even told me, and I've been asking because I'm like, come on, guys, I need that credit. Um, right. So uh, I, I I don't need, I I have no idea, but not not in the next few months, I don't think. Um, and and uh, Quartet of of all the other ones, Quartet will probably be the first to come out. Actually, probably next year, Q1, Q2, somewhere in there. Yeah, I'm very excited for that myself. Um, mm-hmm. So nobody just wakes up and decides to make a game, obviously. Obviously, I assume all of you grew up playing games. So were there any specific works, either in like games or anime or other media, that inspired your ideas? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have a very inc- incredibly common basic JRPG entrance story, which was mm-hmm. FF7 was my entry point. Um, and then from there, I kind of went backwards and played all the SNES and many of the NES ones. Because I just didn't know games with stories were a thing. You know, I played a lot of video games as a kid. My older siblings, who grew up in the early 80s, had a Nintendo Entertainment System. They played the original Mario. I was old enough to play Mario 3. I loved those games. I I had a Sega. I'd play Sonic. So I played a lot of video games. But when I played FF7, I was like, wait, you can tell a story in a game? Like, there's this is like a story, and it's got like pacing and characters. And I was immediately hooked. And I remember also I saw my neighbor... He was not much older than me, but I'd go over to his house just to watch him play Super Nintendo. He was playing FF6, and I remember just seeing it on the television screen, and it just like spoke to me on such a deep level. Like I knew like I had to play that one day, and then I did, and loved it. And from there went the Chrono Trigger and Super Mario RPG, and then all anything Square released in the um, late '90s. I played. Um, well, yeah, I mean that was basically my story. And then I I got you know I played trumpet in the band, and I went to music school and was a professional musician. And I remember writing. Like my senior year of college or junior year, I wrote on the wall, like on my little notepad, I said, I want to write music for games. I just wrote it down. I didn't know how I was going to do it because I didn't know, like, that was not really a thing people did. Like, there are obviously the people who work for the big studios, but it wasn't like now where there's like a million, you know, younger people who are getting into indie games or whatever. I just knew I wanted to do it at some point. And then when in 2013, I started something classic with a another friend of ours uh josh garlitz that sort of was my path so yeah it was this like collision of like playing final fantasy doing music and like wanting to put those two together somehow gotcha i actually grew up playing saxophone in the band myself <laughs> nice did not go on to be a professional though unfortunately yeah pat you uh you played an instrument too i know i, I played the clarinet right yeah i played trumpet as well I, I play guitar and piano and trumpet all badly <laughs> very nice Got a nice little group of musicians here. Yeah. So what about the what about the rest of you? Uh, how did you how did you decide that you, this is what you wanted to do? Um, well, I was nine and I played um, 1994 and I played Secret of Mana on my friends, my neighbor down the street, his uh, 
his SNES and I, I saw like the opening, like I think first, first he told me like, he's like, well, I was really bad at video games and I still am. I'm pretty bad at action video games. Um, but he told me like, oh, there's this game. And when you, if you kill a bunch of enemies, you get more powerful, but then you don't like, you don't lose that power. Like you don't like you would lose a power up if you played like turtles in time or something like that. And or super Mario. And like, you know, those power ups, they went away, but these power ups, they don't go away. You kill a bunch of enemies. You just stay that strong. And I was like, that's interesting. Right, this is a, describing a level up, and then I, I, right. I, he showed me Secret of Mana, and then like I saw the opening crawl, and I was just like, that's I was nine, and I was like, this is what I want to do with my entire life, and that pretty much never changed, which is a little Very crazy, cool. and uh, yeah, so I, I you know took Japanese in college, um, I went to Japan uh, for a semester to try and figure out like because I remember when I played Secret of Mana, I was just like. The same thing I remember when I saw Dragon Ball Z for the first time. Like, if you remember back in, like, 1995 when that came on television, like, broadcast television, it was like it came from another planet. Mm-hmm. It was just like, like, like where did it, like, like, this is nothing like anything that we've ever experienced over here in the West. Like, like think about comparing this to DuckTales or comparing, um, you know, Secret of Mana to, like, um, I don't know, any, any game you'd have over here. It was just so different. And I was just yeah. like, how could this exist? Where does this come from? And so I spent, you know, the next, uh, you know, 15 or so years trying to figure that out. And then after I answered that question, um, I went, I started writing the, my book series to try and answer the question of like, how are classic, you know, all time revered games made? And so I spent then another eight years answering that question. And then after uh, 23 years of underemployment, <laughs> that's, that's an exaggeration, <laughs> but I had a lot of stern looks from my wife. I finally became a game developer. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I made it a career when I was. Uh, oh, that's that's awesome. That's a great story. Thirty-two. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Colonel Sanders was like sixty when he discovered his recipe. So never too late. That's that's who I, my inspiration is, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to get the license for the Colonel Sanders JRPG, but they did. Hey, they Give did a super character. Wait, they, wait, they did one. Yeah, they did a, a KFC visual novel. Okay. Yeah, they like had the uh, dating sim. I, I forget what it was called, but it's it called, was. I love you, Colonel Sanders. I mean, it wasn't. It was literally just called that. <laughs> nah, that was a. Uh, I think that was like a Valentine's or April Fool's joke, but it was so funny. But yeah, that's a, that's a great story. You mentioned Dragon Ball Z. Actually, like me personally, my first anime was Pokemon, and like I did one. have the same reaction. I was not born until '92, so I was not allowed to watch uh, Dragon Ball Z in '95 when it came out because I was like three. Um, but, um, it's good for you. Build yeah, when I watched, bones. yeah, right. <laughs> um, when I, when I watched Pokemon for the first time though, I definitely had like a similar experience. Like I just was immediately sucked in and, you know, Pokemon was designed to suck us in, but that's an entirely different discussion. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it was, it's wild just how like that type of media can, uh, can drag us down. It, it was so cool. Back to Quartet, though. Um, how long have you guys, like, how long has the idea existed and how long has this been in uh, development? Um, well, I th- I think I, Pat, Pat sort of mentioned earlier, uh, our first first game I worked on was Shadows of Adam, which came out in February of 2017. And then um, I don't think we probably started, Pat and I started, like, really developing concepts for Quartet maybe until that summer of 2017. Yeah, like June. Yeah. And maybe Pete would know exactly when we actually started making real progress. I think we started really making progress when Tyler Darren and Pete joined in, which was yeah, I think well, 2020. Was it? That sounds Wait. about right. Yeah. I mean, there was just a lot of like 
like hurdles for Pat and I to kind of jump over. Like honestly, we we were putting kind of some of our own money, and we were hiring like a contract programmer, and you know we were trying to go to Unity, and um, and like Pat and I, Pat, Pat, Pat specifically is really good at planning. So like we had this like everything on lock and key, like the planning, the vision for the game. We had really spent a lot of time really fleshing out what we wanted to do, so that could be kind of our guiding star. But we just didn't have money. We needed an art director. We needed someone who could do programming because because Pat and I neither neither of us can program, and so getting Ty and Pete on board was such was just huge. If you're not a programmer and not an artist, you're gonna have a hard time starting an RPG. Yeah, you kind of need everything for that, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, I realized I missed uh, Pete. I want to circle back to past question. Um, how did you get involved? Like involved in this and decided this is what you wanted to do, Pete. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So uh, my mom was a librarian and she read a lot of, she voracious consumer of books, read lots and lots of fantasy novels. So, um, uh, but when I was six, she, she worked in the library at a public school library and they got a book for like programming in basic on the Commodore. And like, that's not really a book you can put on the shelves in an elementary school library because nobody's got a Commodore. So she brought it home and, uh, and we had one. So I just started like, programming on it like copying the the code into the computer and running it and seeing what it did um and uh you know i visited my cousins they had an, an nes and um i was obsessed with mario um even though we didn't have an nes so we came home and uh uh like we would draw mario on cardboard boxes and pretend uh that we were playing it like we'd make little cardboard controllers and and it was it, it, it really lame but um but then I learned, started learning programming, and I, you know, so I would see these these experiences and these game, they, these games, and there were some other games on the computer, and I try to recreate them, and that's really just kind of been a theme um, through like my childhood and into adulthood. It was like I'd play a game, and then I'd be like, well, how did they actually do this? And I was constantly every game I played, like, how did they actually do this? Like, and and Final Fantasy VII for the first time, a game in like full three, an RPG in full three D, like blew me away, and that I remember just racking my brain for for hours and days just thinking about how they did that with the models and the, and the drawn backgrounds. And, um, and yeah, no, I've just been obsessed with, with programming and gaming, um, since I was a kid, uh, you know, the fantasy and anime stuff, uh, we used to, uh, wake up early in the morning. Uh, we didn't have anime on TV until Pokemon, but before then, um, we would get a couple of channels from the Bay area before sunrise. Um, and so we'd watch Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball Z, uh, before the sun came up, we'd set our alarm for like 5 a.m. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> uh, but yeah, fantasy novels. I like, you know, a lot of comedy stuff. My mom gave me the the, the Piers Anthony books. And um, I just, yeah, I really like these games with like a series right, where you meet the characters and you get to keep playing with them. And and uh, yeah, no, I know I'm really just drawn to JRPGs as a result of just kind of all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you said you did it as more of a hobby before you uh, started working with these guys, or am I wrong about that? Yeah. So, I mean, like, I'm, I'm a programmer. I work in big tech. Um, I live in the Bay mm -hmm. Area. So, um, but, but like, I do game dev for fun on the side. Um, so, gotcha. it's, it's, yeah, that's always been kind of a more of a hobby for me just growing up and, and even now. And, and, you know, I'm looking forward to releasing my first game. It'll be really exciting. Awesome. I'm excited for all of you. Pete, so, uh, this story, question, man. The cardboard Mario. Oh man, you never told us that one. That's so great. That's like <laughs> well, a, that's that's not silly. That's wonderful. Luckily, yeah, I didn't, that's I definitely didn't get... not silly at all. Like we all we all used to do stuff like that. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And and luckily, I didn't get sued by Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would today. <laughs> oh my god. Um, how how did how exactly did that work though? I am curious. Like how 
how did cardboard Mario like function? I was as a cardboard box. We got like a uh, printer paper or like like, and we would like tape the levels on it, and then um, uh-huh. and just like pretend like we drew all like Goombas and like they couldn't move or anything. Okay. Um, and we I'd get like a pencil and like kind of draw like where Mario was and kind of like make him jump by moving your arm. It was it was not it was very low tech. Low tech was always the best though. Like using your imagination back then, that was so much fun. For sure, yeah. Yeah. The other game that we That's liked awesome. was like a, a turn-based war game where each person would take a turn drawing like a tank or, a, <laughs> you know, <laughs> silly. That's great. So uh, this question was partially asked by uh, Callum Stevens on RPG Sanctuary. Um, what is it like to work on an RPG? Like, what? How? How does? How do you develop? What part comes first? Like, do you develop the story? Do you pick like a gameplay system you want to go? Do you just draw something and be like, I'm going to build a world out of this? Yeah, we did a little um, bit of everything. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of like similar to a question people ask composers, like, what comes first, melody or chords? It just depends, mm-hmm. right? Um. I mean, what did we do first, Pat? We kind of came up with the story hook first, right? Yeah, I, we I, came I, up with like a concept. So you had, like, Tyler had this concept of like, this little RPG maker game called Channel Changer, where it was like four different stories in four different genres. Mm-hmm. And it was like a comedy thing. So like, like you would flip the channel and it was like you could just work between these chibi channel versions of reality. And then so we took that and made it more serious. And I have been reading like a lot about Napoleon and like the history of like Europe from like 1918. Uh, you know, 1800 to 1945. And I was just really interested in the question of like, like how does, like having historical consequences, if you think about, I mean, this is pretty far, like we're going from RPG Maker 4 Channel Changer game to what are the historical consequences of the Napoleonic Wars and how did it result in the Second World War? But um, that's the sort of thing that interested me. And so we just smashed these very different things together. And that was our first, that was like the, the hook, the concept the four stories. Right. And there was a little bit of a gameplay idea before I knew the only gameplay idea I really had was I knew like we had with SOA, we had a pretty simple but solid enough battle system that people seemed to like and feedback was good on us with like kind of the regenerating a people. And I said, let's just since we're going to have eight characters, let's just make an FF10 kind of thing where at any point someone can switch places with someone in the back row and instantly give that person their turn. That was like really the only gameplay mechanic that I pitched. There was, you know. You know, maybe in a future game there'll be more <laughs> complex mechanics, but I think that's about it. You know, maybe I'm forgetting something. Tyler, you also worked on uh, Pillars of Dust, didn't you? Uh, so Pillars of Dust was actually done by a sister studio, jo- Josh Garlitz, uh, who was worked with me on Shadows of Adam, formed his own studio called Retro Games, and they've produced two games, Pillars of Dust and For a Fast Future. Uh, do you want? Okay. Sorry, Pete, uh, P- uh, P- did you have something you were about to say? Oh yeah, I was just gonna. I, I just wanted to add on to the to the whole like you know making what goes into making a game and and uh with this genre at least like you're you're not making one game right like you're ma- you're actually making three games uh one is like you know exploration right on the map and like opening chests and solving puzzles and like what tech do you need for that and then there's another game which is like the battle system um and you know you switch between these two games and then there's kind of a third one which is like the menu system which <laughs> you know you don't really think of like going through menus as a game but like 
you know, when you're talking about the complexity and what goes into making things, like there is a ton in like, what, you know, what's your equipment? What's your spells? Can you cast spells? Can you use items? Like, um, can you change your party formation? Is there a settings? Can you save and load your game? Like, there's just a lot that that's a lot. That's It's really easy to underestimate the complexity of a game <laughs> if you gloss over the user interfaces. Uh, but it's like a I'm good actually, third of the game. Are you saying yeah, that you I've underestimate this Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up menus, actually, because, like, in a lot of RPGs, I'll spend, like, a ton of time just, like, theory crafting, like, going through and just doing different builds of all of all my characters trying to figure out what works. So, yeah, I've never really thought of it as, like, separate games, but when you put it that way, yeah, you're kind of right. Yeah, on the technical side, they're just completely different, what your what your goals are and what you're building. Um, but, yeah, no, it's really fun to, to watch a demo. People play demos and, like, They'll launch the game and then they'll just go to the menus and just spend mm -hmm. 10 minutes looking at everything and it. <laughs> like not walking around, not talking to people, not fighting monsters. Just like, all right, let's see what's in these menus. <laughs> that is something and, we like to do as RPG players, isn't it? That's like, <laughs> I always love just seeing what a menu is all about. I, I've definitely done that before. Well, any PC player, they're going straight to the menu and they're adjusting the settings to their liking. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Turn off that bloom. Turn off that depth of field. Yeah, turn off motion blur. Yeah, oh yeah, I hate that stuff. Yep, Final Fantasy sixteen. Oh, it's killing me. <laughs> Octopath. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> so kind of it's kind of in the same vein. Like when uh, developing a character chapter, I assume it kind of is the same. Like it's just whichever which came first, the chicken or the egg, uh, depends on who you ask. Like, do you think of the character first, and you're like, I want to build a story of like a rogue monk who used to be. A bard and something and he's trying to like perform penance for the atrocities he committed as a bard or do you think of like a story and you're like what kind of character would like fit this story yeah we, we came up with the characters first so like we had like four ideas for the story so like the the, the original concept is like one of the stories is uh um a western and one of the stories is a comedy and one of the stories takes place in something very like real life and one of the stories is a post-apocalypse. And we didn't end up taking those super literally, but we did use each concept. So, like, um, so we created the characters. Like, Cordelia is this, you know, classic snooty black mage who goes out west, which is actually east in her world. But it becomes a western. <laughs> you see her chapter, it becomes a western. And she's providing law in a desert lawless land. And then Ben um, is the comedy one. He's this, um, he's Pete's avatar in Discord. He's the um, yeah. overweight uh middle-aged cook and uh you know he, he's he's uh, um adventurous thrust upon him unwillingly he's not really into it but um he, he's like well i guess i gotta pay the rent and um and so like he's the comedy character then there's the um the every sort of real life similar to real life that's alexandra who lives in something sort of similar to 19 mid 1950s paris um okay. so it's not like you know it's very similar to a modern person's real life and then for the post-apocalypse, there's there's really only one section of Nikolai's chapter that is post-apocalyptic in this destroyed city, um, because the post-apocalypse couldn't really support a story in this in this venue for the entire time. But uh, yeah, so we had time travel was involved. Yeah, yeah. So we we didn't really again like, we tried to try not to get too convoluted. There is a twist in the setting, but it's like it's more about why the twist happened than what the twist is and all the many myriad crazy things that happened. Um, and so we just had, so we come up with those four, the four scenarios and the four characters that went into them. So the comedy guy is obviously a fish out of water. The post-apocalypse is a military guy because who else would be wandering around a post-apocalypse? 
and the um you know the 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 the, the modern day character Alexandra is, a, is she runs a shop. She's a shop girl. Mm-hmm. Like she just has a very ordinary tame existence. And uh, I, I'm waving my hands around as I explain these things. Nobody can see me. I don't know why I'm doing that, but um, <laughs> it's okay. But, I talk with my hands too. Yeah. Um, and and so yeah, so we, we basically came up with those characters and the premises really close together. And then after that, each character we came up with a foil for each character. So like uh, in Ben's chapter, the most obvious foil is Agatha, who is a very serious um, soldier, sort of like city guard almost like magic police type of character who's the opposite of Ben, who is this very um, fly by the seat of your pants, um, unwitting adventurer. And we did that for each character that had the foil. And that was it. That was the cast right there. And we, and we also thought about all the roles. Uh, Tyler can tell you some of the cool things we did with the roles. Yeah. Yeah, I guess in gameplay, you know, just each character sort of had a specific gameplay hook. I mean, I think a lot of like, when you make decisions, it's sort of like products of just like having really big macro ideas about what your game's vision is. Things like fall, just fall into place because it makes sense. So like, for instance, we said, okay, we want a game with a lot of characters and it's four stories. So like Pat said, if there are four stories, but there are eight characters, well then there's a main character in each story. And then there has to be a foil for contrast purposes. But if there's eight characters and you have a battle where people are, you want people to swap in and out characters, well, then if everyone can do the same thing, then there's no incentive to swap them. So then by thus, we said, well, okay, each character is going to have like a niche in combat because that makes sense for the gameplay, but it also makes sense for the story. Like Pat already mentioned, like Cordelia. Like if Cordelia was a tank or like a melee DPS, it just would have so much dissonance with her story, which is her story is she's a very academically trained mage. And so, like, a lot of these things, decisions just sort of, like, fall together, like, just because that's the only real thing that makes sense. And I think that's really a credit to Pat's, like, really good big picture planning. Uh, Of course, there's little things you got to figure out, um, tweaks here and there. But I would say I don't think any of the characters' archetypes has changed since the basic vision. There's been a few tweaks around the edges with their stats, maybe a few adjustments to their skills. But for the most part, they've basically been what they were as we planned it you know four years so ago. gameplay they've remained the characters that you create right it's way. not it's you know there's a there's a flavor of game for everyone and i know like i think pat or uh, pete might be like be with me in the sense i like when a character who they are in combat really relates to who they are in the story like i know pete's a big fan of ff4 and that's, four trails all those games yeah yeah and that, i think that's a i think that really feels like really synergistic and feels really satisfying to me but i mean i also love crunchy job systems and heavy customization i mean ff5 is one of my favorite games i like the octopath traveler games um uh but you know like sometimes like in a game like uh ff7 for instance a game i really love materia can basically make everyone do anything and so there's no real incentive to bring other characters in your party other than just preference for what they look like or their story or whatever so we definitely didn't want to do that Right, it's definitely good to have a diversity because when I played Octopath Traveler, my biggest complaint was that you're basically picking like one side of the same coin for like two of the characters because they were basically the same thing, just different type of flavor. Um, And I really like that. But from what I've played of your guys so far, like each character feels unique, even the temporary characters, which... I have to really compliment that is not something you see thought put into usually like when two cops uh, joined me on a Ben story, I was fully expecting just Biggs and Wedge and they they were to a degree, but they actually had like individual abilities that weren't just the same twice. 
Right. I think a big part of that, like, I remember I worked at Disneyland one summer and they taught you about theming well. Like, if you know kind of what it is, like, if you know you're in Futureland, but you have to have a trash can in Futureland, then it's going to look futuristic, right? So, like, things just sort of, and Pat, actually Pete, too, with the titles, like, we say, okay, this this cop's going to have a, a DPS move, and then we just, like, theme it in a clever way to make it feel really distinct and unique to what a cop would have. So, I don't know. Let's do a little, let's do a little, give us a, a skill, a type of RPG skill. Like, how about a, um, a single target? Um, here's, a, here's an easy one. Here's an easy one for Pete. A single target stun move that a cop would have. What would you call it, Pete? I mean, like stun gun or um, taser. Yeah, taser. Hand, yeah, handcuffs. Handcuffs. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. So that, so I mean, at the if you really broke it down, all our guest characters probably have like the most basic of basic archetypes of skills. But I, I, I'm not taking away from your comment. I really accept it. I think I really appreciate that. But I think like just like that theming it makes it feel so much more. Uh, individualized I think and actually it's really fun like sometimes we'll be like oh we need like a wind move that does slow down and then we'll just like have a brainstorming session where we'll just like generate as many puns as we can <laughs> it's kind of fun I'm a oh, sucker yeah. for a good pun also heck I'm a sucker for a bad pun so like the worse the better for me so oh, yeah, yeah it, it, we do we do a lot of them for the enemy attacks like that, those, are, those are really fun my, my favorite the one I came up with that's it's my, my claim to fame is there's a giant tree monster you fight in Ben's chapter and it has a melee attack called Birch Slap. <laughs> I did <laughs> see that. I did see that. That was That's very a classic. Um, His entire chapter was really funny. Uh, there's another part of that, actually. This is the technical side. Is that our our tools are really good. Like, Pete spent a lot of time making our tools. We, we, we've spent a lot of time designing them. But Pete made, connected <laughs> it all together. Um, made the magic actually function. And so we have, like, really robust content tools that, like, can do virtually anything that a JRPG could do. So, like... Uh, you know, I had written those books, three books about JRPGs. And so like, I really had a really good grasp of like, what are all the aspects of like a buff, a debuff, um, an attack? Like what, what are all of the things? Like I had sat and read the API of everything that exists in Final Fantasy, like and how every single enemy used every single attack. What do they all do? And how's the behavior work? And so we created like all these templates for attacks, buffs, debuffs, enemy AI. And so it's really plug and play. Uh, and P- Tyler, I have to say, with his deep knowledge of JRPGs, really polished that system out. Um, I did the I did like the highfalutin con- conceptual work, and then he did the nitty gritty, actually making it function with Pete. Um, and then yeah, so now we can make it an attack like that in two minutes. Yeah, it was great. Pat had had written like this big GDD with like all the formulas and all the you know the fields, and like it was just really easy to work off of that. Yeah, and so, I'm really smart too. Do you have like a tool that basically you can go in and set like elemental type, uh, damage range, yep. attack or um, yep. sub? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's, we have a, that's a really great idea. Yeah, basically. Yeah, there's... Sorry, guys. Pete. I was gonna say there's a, there's an application called Artisy, and um, one of the features it has is kind of this like database system. So if you if you used RPG Maker before, like there's a database tool in there, and, and like you can set up all the enemies and all the attacks and the abilities and the gear and stuff like that. And so Artisy is kind of like a standalone application that lets you organize your you know data and and add whatever fields you want and um you know drop downs and check boxes and it'll export uh to unity so that you can like you know or you know json or other programmer things but um uh, yeah it'll export this database to unity so you can just call it from your code and 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 whenever you make changes you use this like other tool and then you re-export and then 
you just load in Unity and, and, and you have new new skills, new weapons, whatever. That's really cool. You do use, uh, sorry, you do use RPG Maker at least partially? No, no, we just, we, we got some ideas from there, but we use, our stuff is a little bit more powerful in certain ways. Some ways it's gotcha. not like persistence, it's not as powerful because we didn't want to do that in Unity, but. Um, um, yeah, I think like, like as a tool for learning, like RPG Maker is great. Like if you yeah. if you want to make an RPG, like get RPG Maker. Like Agreed. that's um, like you you can do like level design. You can learn how to do you know logic through their eventing systems, and mm-hmm. and it just makes it really easy. It won't look the most original, like if you're using all the out of the box stuff, but you will learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, that's where I mean, when Pat was saying earlier, like I how I my experience with JRPGs. Most of the stuff I wanted to see in Odyssey was just stuff I just saw in RPG Maker uh 20 years ago because that that was kind of like a genesis of something glass i don't need to go into that story but we were all part of the <laughs> rpg maker community and like pete said like rpg maker is a great tool i mean obviously there are great games made in it but just like for learning like if you say i don't know how to make art i don't know how to code get rpg maker and just start pressing you could learn a lot of skills like our our map designer like came from the rpg maker community. he's really excellent at that and uh yeah it's a great tool um for making specifically japanese style rpgs <laughs> it's really great I was saying, yeah, and you can learn like how to do layouts. Um, we don't use RPG Maker to make our maps. We use Tiled. It's another open source uh, tool. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like like he he was, you know, he's from the community and he has a lot of experience there. And you know, he was able to take all that knowledge and all that skill at, like over. And uh, he's made a lot of really fantastic maps for us. Yeah, my only um, experience with RPG Maker was um, my old college roommate made a two D version of Knuckles Treasure Hunt, like the game from a. Uh, Sonic Adventure 2 and he basically just made it 2D that's like the only time is that I like bug fixed it for him a little bit but yeah it's it's a great tool definitely uh, definitely robust oh making but... insane mini games in RPG Maker is a hobby of a lot of ours <laughs> that's good mini game yeah mini games are always like so much fun like I always I always wonder just in general and like tell me if this is true for you guys because I'm curious now anytime I see like a mini game in an RPG or just a game in general, like Final Fantasy VII, you guys know how many mini games there are in that. I just wonder if there was like somebody on the dev team who made like this short little game or just had this idea, and they're like, "Yeah, throw it in there. We'll find a place for it." Um, I mean, so like, actually, that's an interesting question because one of the things on my most recent playthrough of Final Fantasy VII that I noticed is that the way they use mini games, and I should break down that into two categories, but the way they use many games really reinforces the story. So, like, if you think of Final Fantasy as always being story first, right? Or at least Final Fantasies before, I don't know, 13? I'm not, I don't know. I don't know when or Final less. Fantasy lost its way a little bit and started being something different. And people, if people like that, that's fine. I'm not trying to tell anybody that the latter-day Final Fantasies should not be liked. They just are very different than the thing that we are imitating. Um, but the mini games are, are, like, the one where you... Have to wave like you're in Shinra Tower. You have to wave your friends over between the statues to hide from the guards, or the one where you have to, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, run, run in place on the Gaia cliffs to warm yourself up, or the one where you have to dash through the the bar- the, the wind walls in the in the um, northern crater before as the barriers are forming, so that you'll get knocked yeah. back. The point of all those mini games was to tell a story. Same with the parade mini game, right? It's not about don't forget, the yeah. Don't forget Rufus. <laughs> it's to make you feel the story through the gameplay. Um, and so e- even the bike chase, I mean, uh, snowboarding, I don't know what they were doing. I think I think with the snowboarding and the submarines, I think, <laughs> I think they got some money. I think they got some money from Sony to show off 3D tech. And so I think they had to agree 
to make some 3D mini games to 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 show off that tech. I think nobody somebody, can bat a thousand. Yeah, so somebody was paying them to do that. So I mean, if you got to pay the bills, too, you got to keep the lights on. So yeah, I mean, um, speaking exactly. of being paid to make mini games, like we do, that was two of our backer rewards. So we, like to that end, like yes, like occasionally we have like, hey, can you put this in the game? And like we are, you know, kind of have to do that to an extent as well. But they will all be themed, just like Pat said, like. Gotcha. To, the, to the story and in universe they won't just be some like random like let's play rock paper scissors like no it's it's <laughs> yeah i think that's what that's what uh most most mini game makers failed to notice about final fantasy 7's mini games is that they 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 made you feel the plot through your thumbs um and people didn't really get that with their imitators did you ever did you have uh when dealing with any of the backers like they had just such an unreasonable request that you're like we want to fulfill it because you paid for this, but absolutely not. I think it was uh, more, no. they, they had a little bit of unknowing quests, like quite requests. And so it was just like, someone requested like HP, like certain HP values, which is like, well, we'll, we'll make it like a beefy enemy. Oh, like for their monster. Yeah. 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 Like, so like that, right, that was, right, right, right. it was just like, they didn't have context, but we, had, we interpreted their request. Right. 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 Gotcha. Yeah. They were like, yeah. I gave like a specific HP value. It was like, okay, so you just want a tanky enemy. Okay. Got All of our Got backers are amazing, smart, beautiful people. <laughs> it's true, including me. Oh yeah, especially <laughs> very nice. Thank no, our ba- no, our Kickstarter <laughs> backers have been incredible. Um, that's good. That's good. I bet I'm a not, few like, in the wild to too. Anybody. Yeah, like I'm not. I've never really heard any stories of like people dealing with their Kickstarter backers, and I've always like made jokes with my friends, <laughs> just like, man, I wonder like if there's any horror stories of like just dealing with an unreasonable backer or something like that. But that's really good to hear that. It's like not a chore. Yeah. I, I mean, guess we, we have the good yeah. ones. Yeah. I have been an unreasonable backer before. So um, <laughs> I, I, I was somebody like it was, I, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but they like, they, they were asking for like a joke or like a, uh, some kind of in-game text. And like, I did a joke that referenced some like copyrighted thing. And they're like, yeah, we can't, we can't do that. Ah, like, <laughs> fine. <laughs> well that doesn't sound unreasonable no, unless you like yeah but i'm i'm exaggerating yeah it, was, it wasn't bad they just said pick something else and i did i'm like okay right yeah working with your backers i assume is like just a necessary part of the game especially when you have to go the kickstarter out yeah yeah i think we've been pretty lucky uh i think sometimes like i've heard stories from other devs of like you know somebody getting really stubborn about a thing and then Oof. you know well, too bad we don't have any stories like this on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been great. Um, been yeah, really but grateful. like, speaking of Kickstarter, um, the demo, you launched that in February, right? For the backers? Yeah, that sounds right. February. Yeah. Or uh, what's the month after February? March? <laughs> <One of those Yeah>. <laughs> months. <laughs> months are hard. I said is meaningless. Ju- I almost said June. That's where I'm at right now. Yeah, you need, you need some sleep probably. Uh, <laughs> I played it twice. Once when it first came out and then once two days ago because i wanted to refresh my memory because i have the memory of like an ant <laughs> uh so like because i've also played uh shadows of adam and i wanted to talk about that a little more and then when i started writing questions i was like oh my god i don't remember that game like i remember playing it and loving it i just don't remember a thing about it <laughs> I, I was just like re-impressed with the game because it was so it's so well crafted from the two chapters i played i didn't have a chance to play chapter eight yet um, cause I know that was updated, uh, later on steam. And, um, are you guys planning to, uh, release another demo to backers before the main launch? Cause quarter one, 2024 is not that far away. Or are you just going to make us like wait until the final product drops? Uh, I think we had talked about, um, for backers 
for all backers maybe doing once we finish Alex's chapter. Uh, so all four of the prologue chapters would be done. We, we could release a demo, demo for that. Past that, probably not. Uh, there are people who backed at beta tiers, so we want to honor that by keeping a full beta of the game exclusive to those people. But um, I would be, I'm definitely fine, and I, I think the rest of you guys are. I don't want to speak for them of like, yeah, doing like a four prologue chapter and doing it through de- like a, a beta branch on our Steam build or something, so backers could enjoy that early and give us feedback and check it out. And that was not meant to come off as where's a new demo because I'm a backer and entitled. Well, you know what? The release date just got pushed to 2027. Thanks a lot for asking. Damn it. <laughs> um, but yeah, one of the things I did notice, and Tyler, this is a compliment to you. Um, when I played the demo, you did have a very good focus on music and sound design. Like everything was memorable. It was. It didn't sound like generic. And that's something that I give a lot of flack for a lot of games in general lately is that music just doesn't sound memorable anymore because they put it so atmospheric and in the background and you don't even really hear it. But I can tell, and given that I know now that all three of you are musicians, it's important to you. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm a genius, so that's the first part. No, I'm joking. Thank you for that. (laughs) No, I, uh, I just try to write music that I think sounds good. And, you know, I definitely like probably play quartet a little harder I just definitely go for it a little bit more than some other other games where, you know, sometimes the gig is just to write atmospheric music or music that isn't as noticed. I'm afforded to be working with a great team that's cool with me kind of stretching a little bit and uh, trying to write some cool stuff, you know. So I appreciate the compliment. Yeah. I think, uh, I think, I think my main contributions to music are to uh, come up with fun titles and <laughs> complain about the, the English horn samples. <laughs> Did you, have, um, <laughs> did you have a tier on Kickstarter? I'm sure you did. That includes the digital stack. Yeah, I believe so. So I think yeah. it actually wasn't even priced that much higher than the base tier. So probably most folks will get a copy of that when it's done. And yeah. I was actually looking at, because I was trying to make a list of what I needed to write to, to finish the soundtrack. And I think there's maybe like 10 more tunes or so. And I'm nice. up to like 70 tracks in the game. So kind of kind of, kind of crazy how much music there is in this game. You're going to go hard like the end of Final Fantasy VI and write like a 12, 12 oh piece God. movement for the final boss. I'm, I'm already tired thinking about that. Um, yeah. Maybe, probably. Yeah, I probably will. Um, uh, but yeah, <laughs> there's. A, I will say, yeah, Pete and Pat both have pretty much supplied all the titles for the songs. When I, when I write game music, I don't really care about titles. I think I might have titled one or two of the songs. But there was one that it was like a music that plays in Cordelia's chapter when you're fighting on the train. It's a single map tune. So, of course, I like have like me playing live trumpet and like a, a live percussionist and guitar overdubs and I just and a, a me whistling. It's just like way too hard for a song you hear for three minutes. But anyway, um, <laughs> I just asked uh, the team to give me a title. I said, give me like the most JRPG title for this train music. And Pete came up with uh, what was it? Black Powder Sunset. Ooh, that's a cool name. So, so, so dumb, but awesome. Yeah, I like that a lot, <laughs> it's actually. It's so great. It's such a great title. You yes. actually answered my next question as well. I was going to ask, like, it sounded like it was live music. I was going to ask if you did do recording or if you were using, like, a, a music maker. Yeah, I mean, there's I mean, there's, there's a mix of a little bit of everything. It's it's kind of all over the place. But there's a, there's a lot of really um, talented live musicians that do a lot of the s- featured soloists, like a lot of the wind parts. And uh, I play trumpet, so I try to record that when I can. So, yeah, we definitely try when we can afford it. And uh, but it's like a mix of samples, you know, synthesizers and uh, live instruments. 
Well, if you ever need somebody to play Ocarina, hit me up because I recently learned how to play it after I 3D printed one. Oh, nice. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> I always um, wondered what 3D printers were actually for, so thank you for... <laughs> oh yeah, it's for making it's for making Pokemon that are on my desk and for making ocarinas that I sell at maker markets for ten dollars a pop when they cost me like a dollar to make. <laughs> nice. That's basically it. <laughs> oh, and for printing benchies. But last thing about music that I wanted to ask, um among the three of you, who are some of your favorite uh composers, video game or otherwise? Well I'm a big uh Uimatsu and Mitsuda fan. Um, um, even Mitsuda's lesser known stuff like Seventh Seal. Um, that's a, that's a really good one. Sailing to the World, that album is a absolute classic. Short, but man, what a hit. Um, and then, uh, Mitsuda also has this, uh, he has like a soundtrack for a storybook that, that Masato Kato wrote, and it's called uh, The Five Seasons of Kirite, K I R I T E. And that's a banger, too. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of them. Um, trying to think of anyone else. Uh, Yoko Shimomura is good. I, I certainly love one Excellent. of Hiroki Kakuda's soundtracks, The Secret of Mana soundtrack. That's that's an absolute banger. Um, end to end. Um, he never really replicated that success, which is odd, but that's a great one. Um, so yeah, those are my guys. Yeah, pretty much same. Uematsu is my probably my favorite just because of his huge versatile sound and strong mel- melodic hooks. Uh, Mitsuda, one of my favorites. Uh, Yoko Shimomura, of course. What, such a, like a delightful composer. And she's actually extremely versatile, too. I think she doesn't get credit oh, yeah. for her extreme versatility. I love Yasunori Nishika's music. Nishiki music. Um, oh, I'm yeah, sorry, he's, he's been great. Yes, he's, His music Nishiki. of Octave. Nishiki, I apologize. He's an incredible orchestrator. His music has it's just breathtaking. Um, uh, the guy who wrote music for uh, Grandia, Iridaire. Uh, it would dare. He's great. I, I like Kamuzu a little bit too. I, I've kind of grown to like his stuff more. Um, and then outside of games, I, I'm a I'm I'm really a jazz musician at heart. Uh, that's really my love, my awesome. biggest love of music. So you know, Thad Jones, all the arrangers for the Count Basie Orchestra, Maria Schneider. I mean, those are some of my all time favorite composers of all time. Uh, I try to sneak that in whenever I can, when it's appropriate, uh, <laughs> in You're subtle welcome. ways and some not so subtle ways. Um, but yeah, those are those. No, are my be as folks. be as non subtle as you want. Plug whatever <laughs> the heck you think deserves attention right now. Wait, I know Pete. I know I know the composers. Oh, Pete, Pete likes. Can I? Yeah. Can I, 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 okay. So Mitsuda, obviously amazing. Um, uh-huh. The Suikoden Four soundtrack. The intro is done by uh, the guy who plays the accordion, uh, Koba. Just amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I love accordion. I'm a sucker. Uh, but the entire Falcom sound team, JDK, Jindo, Singa, Udasuga, just amazing stuff. Uh, I like hype music. Like, I don't know, it might be the ADHD or something. Like, I can't get enough, you know, Dragon Force, Speed Metal. And just like, like in every Ease game, it's like, hey, let's leave our sleepy village and go to the first, you know, field area. And then they just go hard for no reason. <laughs> and Level three slime. Oh, so great. I love it. I love it. And and like the, the Trails of Cold Steel games, absolutely amazing soundtracks. Um, yeah, Falcom, Jindo Singh, is, is great work uh, from the day. And everybody else, they have a bunch of composers, but uh, yeah, they all do, they all do great stuff. One of my friends on the on the topic of like music that has no business going as hard as it does. Um, my friend Will loves to talk about the the title theme for Pictionary on NES. Uh, go listen to that if you haven't heard it. It just is unnecessarily awesome for a game about Pictionary. I'm imagining what this sounds like now. 
It's really good. It's like going all angular, like fusion jazz. Does it does it go harder than the Weather Channel theme from 1997? It's like the JRPG boss theme. Oh yeah, on the same tier as the Weather Channel. It's just it's hard, man. Yeah. You mentioned a couple of times, um, I know this isn't your first game, you had Shadows of Adam. Um, I did play Shadows of Adam and I loved it. But how different is Quartet from uh, Shadows of Adam and I guess Pillars of Dust as well because you did work on that in terms of both like development and gameplay? Like, did you take any ideas from either game that you liked as an idea and just wanted to improve it or did you pretty much use entirely fresh ideas? Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, I think I would say Quartet is definitely a little more character centric and story focused than SOA was. SOA certainly had characters and certainly had a story, um, but it was a little bit more cursory. Uh, the the pacing was a little more breezier. Quartet's still a game that we we really want to have good strong pacing and and like lots of momentum. But I would say that Quartet is very much a little more fleshed out with the characters and and the story and the world building. Um, things we took from SOA. Uh, Obviously, like a lot of the graphical style, um, a lot of the basic concepts of the battle system with the regenerating AP system, where your AP is capped at 100 and you get a little bit back after every turn. So we just took that wholesale from SOA because uh, people liked it and we thought it was a cool system. Um, yeah. And then, uh, but then I think uh, Workout SA was really great because that was like my first game ever as a commercial game developer. And I learned a lot during development and after development things that work things that didn't and a lot of it was just like okay how can i make the next game easier to make because there were a lot of just incredibly frustrating parts of making soa nothing to do with the people i was working with but just like the tech and the limitations of the tech and then getting towards the end of the game and be like man i really wish we had thought to do this because i would have been nice if we could like there were just things like gear couldn't do in soa like soa's gear system was like pretty pretty uh limited so like I was we were like designing in-game gear and like we had no levers to pull. It was just like, well, this one just has more stats. That was it. There was no like this could do this or this. And so when Pat and I sat down, we were like, we need to make a system that can like do anything we can think of. And we like l- try to think of everything. Like uh and I think that's one way to definitely improve from SOA. I couldn't speak too much about Pillars of Dust because I wasn't directly involved with it. And that game's uh-huh. scope was definitely a lot more smaller and it's more comedic. Um but I think the one, maybe the one thing all the SC and SC adjacent games have in common is they're like unapologetically uh, in the spirit of sort of the retro games with like modern quality life and such. But I think the real thing is like all of us like like we love slow burn games, but I think we really like want a game with like really good pacing. Like that's really important to us. It's important to me at least. Um, but um, anyone else have any thoughts on any of that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're right. Like, 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 we wanted to apply the we we wanted to make we wanted to make games more rationally based on the lessons of like Final Fantasy, and so we're like, okay, so like, what did Final Fantasy do that was janky? And we tried to streamline like, like everything. This is the technical. You don't we need to know much about it, but we tried to like 
use normalization functions, which are just like saying like IQ is a normalization function. It's like 100 is average and 110 is 10% higher than average. And we did that for all the stats um, because Final Fantasy stats are like normalized around 255. So like that was just like, that was the way we wanted to do things. Just the smoothest, buttery production line, like the ultimate ration. Like we, we were not, and we didn't accomplish that all the time. Sometimes there's craziness, <laughs> but we really wanted to like take all like the inspiration from these five games we did and like execute those in a way that's much more clear sighted because they were doing it for the first time. No one had ever done half the things that they had done before. And so we're like, oh, but we, but we get to benefit from their work and we're going to make, we're going to just, you're going to have everything be like this, just like the smoothest possible runway to getting towards a very similar goal. So, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's always been the ethos of the project. I think you mentioned uh quality of life, and that is something that I definitely noticed, um, at least in terms of, um, encounters because all of the encounters, at least that I ran into, I don't know if you plan to pivot this at any time later in the game, you can see them all. They're not, there's no random encounters, which I personally love because I hate grinding nowadays. I don't have time for it anymore. Yeah. I mean, actually, actually that's a, that's a trick. Um, once you, once the game registers that you've paid for it, all those switch to random encounters. <laughs> and you have to pay to turn them off. Yeah. One thing I love about <laughs> random encounters is that, is that, or one thing I hate about random encounters is that they really punish you for backtracking. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. oops, I took the wrong fork in the road. Like, guess what? Now you got to fight three more monsters to find, like, a chest with a potion in it. Like, good job. Right. Mm-hmm. That could be actually a really funny anti-piracy measure where if you pirate the game and you detect it, <laughs> uh, there's no fixed encounters. They're all random and they're all, like, absurdly hard. That's going in. <laughs> right on the list, guys. <laughs> New game minus. We have a list You're of welcome. all the things we're adding in New Game Minus. Yeah, the, the closer... It's like that, <laughs> joke mode. The closer you get to a treasure chest, the higher random encounters get. Oh god, it always feels like that, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. And every every That's chest like... in the game only contains a potion. <laughs> and a promise and a note promising that the next chest is better. Yeah. Yeah, because that's like that's one of the things that everybody likes to say about Chrono Triggers. They're like, yeah, it's a good RPG because the pacing is great because there's no random encounters. You can if you just do the encounters as you come across them, you'll be properly leveled, and that's pretty much true. And I didn't have difficulty beating any of the bosses like they definitely gave me a run for my money like i had to really think about healing and everything but i wasn't like man i'm under leveled i need to go grind some they were all like really well balanced so like it feels like you guys nailed that in in this as well yeah that's one of tyler's favorite games i know he replays it <laughs> once a year or so no oh, kind sugar yeah yeah it's a very curated experience and i feel like um as a small team with limited resources that that seems like the kind of game we could more realistically do though. I am like, I have been thinking a lot, like, you know, like that's just the kind of way I like the balance and like think about my games is like the gated encounter sort of like kind of get you in the right spot so that when you get to a boss, like uh, you have everything you need to beat them. You might have a little extra if you did some exploring or whatever and are geared up differently, but for the most part, you'll kind of be around the same area. And then I kind of like curate an experience it feels right and thrilling and exciting and challenging, but ultimately winnable and not frustrating. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, that's sort of like my view on that. But, you know, maybe in a future game of explore more open kind of grindy or like customizable characters that could be a little more interesting and challenging for me. to. Yeah, develop. I mean, I, I, we, Tyler and I talked a lot about this in the, in the pre-production um, stage, the elaborate, immense pre-production stage. But like basically what we wanted to do is change the circle of affordances, which is just like things that you could do 
at, like with, a, with every dungeon you should like instead of having to grind and engage with the systems that way we just like to open up a new skill or a new item that modifies your skills or give you a new character that's why we have all these guest characters um yeah. how many guest characters do we end up having a lot we'll count i'll count in a sec after i finish this thought but uh um <laughs> basic idea is like you just you should be getting new qualitative things to play with and not just worrying about your quantitative growth because that's how games get boring it's like well uh, you know in three levels i'll be this much more powerful than this person we, we want some of the unexpected some of the some of the qualitative changes like oh i got this new ability and it really changes the entire way i approach battles um and like having combinations of characters also does that and so that's really how we wanted to design it instead of having grinding it's like you know your options grow more numerous instead of your options get linearly more powerful right um and like that, that, that I, there's like a place for that perhaps like um that people could like that where you know they they want to just get the stronger fire spell or whatever but that was definitely a thing where you identified even as early as soa's development that we didn't want to do we definitely wanted uh like pat said qualitatively different i think the trills games do a really good job of that too and p probably knows maybe more about it than i do but every every time i like research the game i'm like always impressed with like how robust the skill systems are yeah they they might have they might go too hard on like too many (laughs) systems and too too like there's so many different kinds of equipment and 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 loadout changing things that you can do and um but yeah no it's it's uh like I think that's too. I think we're we're in a nice like happy middle ground, but you know, we'll see what the players think. Yeah, that's like that's kind of where I'm at personally. Is like I'm 30, so my free time is very limited compared to when I was like 12 and had no money but all the free time in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so my time is valuable to me. I don't want to grind. I don't want to have to figure out like a million complex systems. Like I want to be able to like read what's going on, digest it and then hopefully understand it and then play the game. And I, I got to say, like, so far from what I played, you, you have nailed it. Like, it, it is a very accessible game. Well, I love it when people praise us, so thank I you. I know, I just like this. <laughs> eat that up. No, I mean, like, ah, yes, legitimately, I yes. have There was, like, one bug that I encountered in the demo where, like, two songs overlapped and it, like, sounded oh, yeah. funny. But other than that, I'm just like, that's a bug fix. Like, I'm genuinely enjoying this game and, like, I want more. Like that's that's the entire feeling that I have like had while like playing this game, and yeah, so like I'm I'm very excited for this game to come out and like for an RPG, um, I'm sure you guys can relate to this as RPG fans. My backlog is endless <laughs> and just keeps on growing every time I discover like a new cool game that I want to try. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah, for like one to jump pretty much to the top of my list, like the minute this game comes out, I'm playing it. Like it says a lot. Nice. And so, you know, actually that bug you described, it's not a bug. It's actually like an experimental, like polytonal, <laughs> like I, uh, like a uh, lig- ligety sort of texture where I have two orchestras playing on the top. You would not. No, I have, I have, uh, I have like PTSD from, so did that happen on the old demo or the new demo or? <laughs> it was the old demo. I didn't okay. re-download the demo after yeah, I, um. That should be fixed now. Oh, thank yeah. God. Okay. You're, you're, oh. you're good. You're good. Oh. You're good. Oh. Now, that was like oh. some old stuff that we, had, was we happening. We embraced middleware. We just embraced audio middleware, and that was that. <laughs> oh, by the way, it, I, it um... was like one of those things that I like blinked for a second because I'm just like, am I crazy or am I hearing like two themes at once? No, and then right. change so, the lesson is just just get the middleware. Just do it. Don't try and do it yourself. Just get the middleware. Yeah, it helps. And could uh... you imagine like the chaos of like if every character has a theme, if they're all on screen, <laughs> the themes just play simultaneously. Oh gosh. <laughs> 
Yes. I will that shamelessly plug cool. the middleware. It's called Intro Loop. It's available on the Unity Asset Store. <laughs> That's um, great. All right. It's fantastic. If they want to sponsor uh, us to evangelize more, then they heard, you heard it here first. So um, Shadows of Adam uh, had a release through Limited Run, and Limited Run is actually local to where I am. I'm from North Carolina, mm. and they are like 20 minutes down the street from me. Like, I know pretty much everybody involved with limited run at least at the retail store and i've met josh a couple times is that who you're going to be doing the uh physical version through um are you going to do it through limited run or are you going to be we, we encourage you to drive there and ask them <laughs> <laughs> i will get the same answer that i get every other time i'm like hey you get in this game yeah um all i will say is that uh doing a physical for soa was hugely successful and I love physical games, and I know a lot of fans of classic games especially love physical games. I, I know all of us would love to see Quartet come out physically. That's all I can say. Well, for SOA, I can tell you in the retail store, um, the limited run retail store has like retro games as well as like backlog, a backstock of their games. Shadows of Adam only has like one column left on the shelf, mm-hmm. whereas a lot of other Switch games have like six. So I'll, I'll tell you what, man. I, with so SO came out in 2017, and um, I can't remember when the Living Run, maybe even 2020, 2019. I think 2020, yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking, no one is going to buy this. Like, this game is long forgotten. It's a niche, like, little indie game. That My you know, career is over. My family I doesn't think love that, me anymore. No, but, you know, I was just like, I mean, I had no risk. Like, they took up on all the risk to do it. I was like, sure, just do it. If you want to do it, like, that's fine. I was just like, why are they doing this? No one's going to buy this. And it sold <laughs> very well in the first week. I was delighted. And so definitely, like, yeah, I I would love for that to happen with Quartet. Definitely. I Just like, we can't, I mean, we can't really talk about it uh, other, more than yeah, that. Yeah, the other thing you should be hearing is that there's only a few copies of the Shadows of Adam physical left, and you should go out and buy them immediately <laughs> because then you might miss out because that is a limited run. Yeah. Or you oh, yeah. Come to my house. I'm looking at my shelf right now, and I I still have four PlayStation copies. And two we said switches. we were not going to talk about that. Nice. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Anyway, if yeah. you want to come to my, they just sent me ten. So if anyone wants one, just come to my house. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't invite the internet, but I think our listeners are <laughs> relatively safe people. Um. Is there anything else before we get to uh, listener questions? Is there anything else that you guys want to say about the game that I haven't already brought up? Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I we haven't specifically said it, maybe implicitly, but um, the, when I mentioned that the quartet has nonlinear chapters that you play it anywhere, this game is not like Octopath in the sense that the characters don't talk to each other or the plots don't come together. This is like a straightforward linear plot driven jrpg like by the end of the game all eight characters are in the same plot they're conversing they're con- they're having conflicts they're having relationships um so i just wanted to put that out there because that's a question we get often like oh i loved octopath traveler but and it's like the world's loudest but um you know but yeah. so that definitely happens in quartet and in fact if people want to see what that looks like if you go on the steam right now and find our steam page you can play a demo which is the chapter eight of the game where all eight characters are together and you get to get a sense of their, how they, uh, how they sort of work together. Um, so that's all I wanted to say about that. I don't know if the other gentlemen have anything to add. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, we, we wanted this game to be like, if you played it, you discuss. it's like, wow, I feel like I discovered an, like an unknown final fantasy from the nineties. Like this is like final fantasy 6.5 or something. Yeah. Not just like, 
surface level like it has pixel art and there's turn-based battles like we all of us have like played a lot of jrpg and we've like thought really deeply about how different jrpgs are structurally in the story the pacing the way their mechanics work like really thought about that and there's been a lot of really great independent developers who have really like pushed the envelope and and really found kind of new ways to, to create jrpgs um and we definitely want to be part of that conversation too but like we definitely like have really tried to like what really made those golden age games work like what was it they had that made them such timeless classics and it wasn't just that they had pixel art or whatever like we love pixel art too but so yeah but it's totally chrono trigger vibes so yeah yep. you just you just saying chrono trigger <laughs> vibes you could be making a first person shooter but you should say chrono trigger vibes <laughs> inspired by chrono trigger just put on like every game you ever make. Yeah, it has Chrono Trigger vibes. Earth, you know Earthbound, Earthbound vibes. Yeah. You know what's weird yeah, about Chrono Trigger is that I've noticed this is a little apropos of nothing, but uh, I've noticed that like it's never time travel games that are compared to Chrono Trigger. When if you thought about it, wouldn't that be like Chrono Trigger vibes? It's always games that have uh, encounters on the field map. Just yeah. A little weird observation I've noticed with marketing. <clears throat> yeah. No, that's very true. Maybe Radio um, Historia maybe had Chrono Trigger vibes. Yeah, oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. I did have some listener questions that I wanted to ask you guys. Um, so this is from Austin. He's a, a fellow contributor of mine. He's, um, what we, I guess, president of our podcast or whatever. Um, he asked, audiences tend to have a lot of expectations and assumptions about what to expect when you make an RPG. Do you find those expectations limiting or does that not really factor into how you choose to make games? Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think about... I'm always like trying to like plug my mind into the zeitgeist of what current rpg players are into but at the same time i think we all realize like we kind of have to make the game we want to make and be as earnest and honest about that um while still considering what some of the modern classics are doing um i wouldn't say it's restricting i mean i i I don't know i think i mean it's a cliche at this point every creative says this but i mean constraints really do make you creative and I think there is something you should embrace. Like, for instance, I write music for a living. And sometimes I have to just get music done fast. And the easiest way to get there is just eliminate options. And then once I eliminate all the options I'm not going to do, then I sit down and say, what am I going to do? And then I'll just write a structure. Okay, it's going to be an AABA. And A is going to be this many bars. going to start on this chord. And I just, like, start a, like, it just starts, like, kind of coming together. And then you could just write the song. It, like, allows you to be more creative. And it like feels almost unintuitive. So no, I don't feel constrained by that. I mean, there's audience expectations in the sense of like what they expect, what like quality of life and game feel. And those are things you try your best to hit. Um, You know, people expect a certain level of quality, even amongst indies that, that a lot of fans are pretty uncompromising on. But um, I think, uh, you know, you do the best you can on that. I think it's, I think it's really important from a marketing side of things, like Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, customer expectations, like you want to make a game and you, you want people who want your game to buy your game and you want people Mm -hmm. who don't want your game to kind of like, you know, not get it sometimes because like, you know, reviews are very important and, um, you know, you don't want people to be upset or, or hate or, or, you know, 
tear up your game because it wasn't what they expected. And so like, you know, when you, when you make your steam page and you do your, you, you know, your, your posts on Twitter and everything like that, like, um, you know, you just want to make sure that, that the game that you're presenting to your customer is like a game that they want to play. I don't know if that makes sense or was obvious, but no, that makes a lot of sense. Pete. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Cause like you think about it, like someone, like I've seen reviews for indie games where it's like clearly a game that's not about grinding. And the, the negative review will just say, this game sucks because I couldn't grind. Who like, wants to grind? I mean, there are people that grinding is a thing that people like to do. Sometimes there's games I like grind. I Like Octopath Traveler, I grind to level 99 or every character. I had fun grinding. Okay. Sometimes you just want to do it. I mean, I didn't have kids then, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but like, so like maybe what Pete's saying has a lot of truth to it. It's like, maybe you just kind of put your cards on the table and say, hey, look, if you like grinding, that's totally cool this might not be the game for you. And I want you to know that coming in so that you don't have this expectation of that being what RPGs are. Because like, that's another thing all three of us really deal with, I think a lot as creative professionals is like when you're working with clients, like you have to figure out when people say words, what that means. Everyone has different assumptions and expectations of it. So like you ask 10 people what an RPG is and you get 20 answers. Oh, for sure. Yeah, RPG is like a big tent genre. Like like for some people, RPG just means grinding. Like RPGs are just grinding and getting levels. That's it. If your RPG doesn't have like a field where you can just grind the same enemy 100 times, that's not an RPG. That's not what I want. So yeah, I think Pete's right. You have to really manage those expectations correctly in the marketing. That's a great insight actually. On the topic of what makes an RPG, though, uh, the group that Tyler and I are both in, that question slash discussion <laughs> is banned. <laughs> the, the guy got so tired of people like arguing about it, he's, he made it a rule, no discussing what makes a game an RPG. <laughs> Austin, Austin also has another question. Um, what are your favorite anime? Um, uh, Pete, Pete has a long list. Uh, I, have, <laughs> I have a medium list. Um, I, I mean, when I was a kid, DBZ was just like, uh, since then, you know, obviously DBZ is a little bit silly from the perspective of an adult because it's so formulaic that you know what's going to happen. But back yeah. in the day, man, it was that you just like you were just blown away by it. And you'd never seen anything like that. All the cool framings and the stones rising up as someone powered up. It was just like crazy. And then you know, kind of jumped the shark a little bit. But um, since then, things I still like as an adult is I, I still my favorite has got to be FLCL. Um, and, uh, I'd say, I don't know, number two, I don't know, maybe Evangelion original cut. Um, and I love the Ghibli movies. That's anime technically. Um, yeah, I, I've loved a lot of those Ghibli movies. I, um, yeah, my neighbor Totoro like gets better every year that I watch it. Like I watch it with my kids and I'm just like, wow. I'm like, I'm like weeping every time grandma runs and hugs, um, Sasuke. Just like every time, just waterworks, just just disgusting. If I had mascara on, it'd be all over my face. Um, <laughs> every time I became a dad, it just like hit so much harder. I was like, oh okay. Um, and then I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, maybe his and her circumstances. That was a pretty good. One. Well, even Gellion, obviously, the podcast is named Third Impact, so I agree with you. Oh, original, original, um, end of Evangelion movie. Yes original like anything else is is revision historical revisionism i still love the rebuilds but end of eva oh so good dude it hits so hard so so anime <laughs> yes <laughs> all right i gotta sign off for the night we're gonna be here for another no. <laughs> yeah no uh, um no so i like so okay um <laughs> Give it your top 10 i didn't no 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 okay so i didn't really get that much into anime until earlier this year when my wife was like 
hey, I want to go see the reincarnate reincarnated as a slime movie is coming yeah. out in theaters. Um, but like it's like halfway through the series, like, and so you need to have context. And she's like, so go watch this before we go out. Um, and so I watched that. And after I finished that, I'm like, okay, well now what I watch. And so like, you know, eight months later, like I've watched like 140 seasons of shows. Um, nice. Very heavily biased towards recent anime. So okay. <clears throat> with that said, uh, like, I, like I have a very heavy bias on like recent stuff. Um, but favorite, my very favorite Oh, it's, it's really hard. Um, because there's just been so much good stuff lately. There's stuff that, you know, I thought was going to be crap, but ended up being good, like Mashal, the vending machine anime airing right now. I thought that was going to be terrible. It's um, a vending machine anime? Oh, yeah. Reincarnated as a vending... Reborn as a vending machine. <laughs> it, I now want to... We have gone vending. too far <laughs> with isekais. <laughs> so dumb! <laughs> but it's Great. been really fun. Um uh, stuff from Wait, last... you, does, there, does any character ever say uh, no I was thinking of laundry machine I was going to say someone ever say like let's go for a spin But uh, well he can right. transform he can transform into other kinds of vending machines so okay. he hasn't turned into a, a, a washing machine yet um, but I don't know like probably the one that like sticks out the most in my head was uh, it's called Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai and um, just the pacing like like it sounds like like a really weebish anime yeah. Um, but it, it it's incredibly it plays it really straight. It's like kind of like a supernatural, like modern supernatural, metaphysical, like mystery romance slice of life thing. So like it's just like it, but like there's no like cutaways with like, you know, fancy backgrounds and like over the top reactions. All the characters are very like normal and and it's just like they chose to do it as an anime. Um, and that was, that one kind of, I think sticks out as like probably the best one I've seen lately. Um, that and that campfire cooking in another world with my absurd skill. <laughs> I've heard where a lot get, of people liking that one as well. Yeah. Yeah. Where he gets, he gets isekai with like a Amazon prime subscription. <laughs> <laughs> Is every Man, anime there, isekai now? Uh, Honestly. Yeah. Maybe like 40 to 50%. There's, it's definitely the flavor of the, of the season. Like there's so many isekais that have come out in the past few years. So many. I yeah. love it. I, I, I love trash. I can't. Yeah. Anyway. Well, you're just getting into anime. I have to recommend my favorite, which is the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya. Okay. I'll add it to my list. It is like mid two thousands anime. And it was like a huge part of anime culture back then. So next, I have a couple of questions from Basil, one of our regular listeners. Uh, do any of the characters have a moment where they go Super Saiyan? Yes. Spoilers. <laughs> yes. Spoilers. Yes. Awesome. Well, I, technically, Ben does. He flies. Kind of like yeah. Ben, super... ben does it like kind of comically, but but another <laughs> character does it at a very key moment. But spoilers. So these next two questions can be a little bit controversial, so we can choose to skip them if you so desire. How do you guys take your coffee? <laughs> he really wanted to know. I mean, I, I, I mean, my first JRPG was FF7, so of course I have my coffee with uh, milk and sugar. I'm a very basic guy. <laughs> I don't know. If I drink I caffeine, know. I hang from the ceiling. Yeah, I don't. I don't drink a lot of a lot of caffeine, but when I do, I I get it with like yeah, the the good, the creamy, the the sugary, the chocolate, all that crap. <laughs> Make it taste like a unicorn. Yeah, yeah. I figure the yep. less it tastes like what it's supposed to taste like, the better. I got so, like that with like the mocha frappuccino. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> like the energy drinks. Like everybody's like, why do you want to drink an energy drink that tastes like stale beer? 
Like, give me the one that tastes like strawberries. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, give me a beer that tastes like strawberries. I think uh, oh, yeah. in the in the Pete anime, he's going to be isekai as a unicorn that drinks sugary coffee. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, when they bring out your order, they should be looking for, like, a 22-year-old girl. And then, yeah, no, that's much. mine. <laughs> hey, no shame. I like the sugar. I mean, I'm not like, yeah, I don't do the chocolate in the coffee, but I definitely like a lot of sugar, for sure. All right. Uh, last question from Basil. What is the best pancake syrup? Oh, maple. Come on. Wait, that's I the mean, most basic one. Isn't yeah, it? I don't mind like a maple blueberry. That's not too bad. You know, I'm, I'm a little worried about like how they like how the, the sausage is made with that. It's kind of tasty, though. Um, but yeah, I like to go with like a Vermont maple. If I'm being honest, like a dark Vermont dark maple. Yeah. Nice. I like the strawberry syrup. Like you go to the IHOP, right? And there's like like ten syrups on the, in the little thing, and and the the one that I didn't like was 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 I always called poison berry. <laughs> Dude, that should be a skill name in quartet. Yeah, there it is. That's incredible. Bo- boss move. <laughs> or that'd be my familiar more, but but it could be in quartet. Anyway. Continue. All right. Um, oh, actually, can I, I say one of... thing that's really important? Yeah. Uh, to talk like my Gen Z friends, IHOP is low-key goaded. Like, IHOP yeah. is great. No cap. And whoever says otherwise is wrong. Yeah, you don't need that kind of negativity in your life. IHOP is the out. FF5 of pancake restaurants. It just gets better every time you replay it. <laughs> nice. Lots of combinations. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Lastly, I have a couple of questions from my friend Will, a frequent listener. He's contributed a couple of times, and we had a YouTube channel together for a time. What RPGs do you love that might not be apparent as an influence in this game? Breath of Fire Two. I don't know. I love and it's like I like I love it's like a it's like a trash fire that I love. <laughs> I that's always my one. Like because like I, I I love I love Final Fantasy six VI and seven in a pure whole wholesome way, but I love. Breath of Fire 2, like a crazy girlfriend that I had. I never had any crazy girlfriends, but if I had had, it would have been Breath of Fire 2. You love you love Breath of Fire 2, like I love isekai anime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like 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 it's like it's like there, there there's there's a, there's an allure. It's exotic. It has many fascinating aspects. It is on fire though. It is a, a disaster in execution. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'd say like Grandia 2. Just like musically, it's got a lot of energy. It's kind of a fun, snappy game. But I would say on a surface level, it doesn't feel anything like Quartet. So that might be a more subtle influence. Gotcha. Yeah, for me, like Su- Suikoden, like like lots of characters with absolutely no background or world building. Um, but I love it. Um, but Quartet is like the polar opposite of that. So Yeah, thank you for not making a game where I have to collect 100 people in order to get the true ending. <laughs> that'll, that'll be my next game. Yeah. Well, that'll be Ayudin soon. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Speaking of uh, 100 characters, I actually did the counted. We have 12 guest characters in Quartet in the okay. prologues. Nice. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. Do you guys consider Zelda to be an RPG? Oh. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a, you know, I wrote these books. I'm a historian of RPGs at this point, I did a lot of historical research. And if you look at what RPG was in the beginning, um, like the first, the like 1977 manuals for D&D, you generally only gained levels when you looted the boss chest. That was how Gary Gygax really refined the game to be. That was what that was what was happening. 
You would gain a level or gain XP when you looted the boss chest at the end of a dungeon or an adventure. And that is what you do in Zelda, right? Like, I mean, you can you can gain partial levels elsewhere, but like that, the primary loop of a Zelda game is boss, boss chest, increase in power, right? So in a sense, Zelda is closer to that original sense of leveling up in an RPG than many of our contemporary RPGs are. And I think I'm happy that the genre has evolved. But if Gary Gygax is not right about what an RPG is, nobody nobody will be. That is not the answer I expected for that, but that was such a great answer. Thank you for that. Nerd. <laughs> yeah, man. Mr. My, PhD. My glasses got thicker. I, th- I too think Zelda is an RPG, mainly because I'm, I'm persuaded by Pat's argument. Um, but I could understand why people... Uh, wouldn't say it is i think a lot of it's like it's like what is an indie you know it's like a lot of it's like kind of like a gut feeling and for whatever reason zelda feels like not like an rpg but i think the original zelda designers considered zelda an rpg as well like if you find reviews and interviews from developers of the time they called zelda an rpg so i don't know if intent matters but i think they saw themselves in that tradition it was just like a different style of rpg right yeah, like, like I, I said this before, RPGs are a big tent genre. Um, but to be a contrarian, I will say Zelda is not an RPG. It is a top-down Metroidvania. <laughs> I could, I, I could I mean, see that, yeah. I mean, Metroidvanias are kind of RPGs too, but we're not ready for that discussion. <laughs> the world just okay. shook on its foundations. <laughs> we need yeah. to talk about... <laughs> that'd be my uh, clickbait article. And my counter article would be no... Metroidvanias are not RPG. <laughs> There's like so many of the that type of genre. Like every time that a Zelda game, a Kirby game, or a Metroidvania comes out, every RPG website will review it. And I'm just like, do you guys really think these are RPGs? Like it always sparks the discussion every time like I see one of those. Oh, there's I mean, there's so many like what we define as like bread and butter RPGs now that yeah, yeah, I agree. That doesn't make too much sense. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, there's when there's that much like marketing money and hype and like, you know, I don't blame any of those sites for doing that. Of course not. And last question. I think this is a great one to close on. What is your favorite Final Fantasy? Uh, I'll break the ice and tell you guys that my favorite is four. Oh, nice. Yes. That's because you're that's because you're awesome. <laughs> Thank you. We actually all three played four recently not like we didn't like plan it we just kind of all did and i quite nice. enjoyed it it was i fun. think my favorite seven i have to be basic i i think it's more just it's partly nostalgia but when i do replay it every time i'm like I have a new appreciation for it close would close seconds would be like six i love four i love nine five but i feel like seven just feels like like the most quintessential final fantasy and the most idiosyncratic and like such a special game but i think i'll have to go with that yeah, I mean, I don't know. For me, it's either six or seven, because, like, six and seven, people don't understand how historically radical six was, because it seems like the straightforward, narrow, ordinary thing now, like a basic bitch RPG. But really, it was, in its time, it was this incredibly radical departure from, from and very intentionally so, from, from what was out there in terms of, like, you know, medieval class-based, large party, lots of mechanics. Final Fantasy VI departed from all of that. And so it's hard for me to say, you know, seven and seven continue that trend even further. But those two, they just they just changed what an RPG could be. Um, and I, while also not just 
well, also be very enjoyable. Like like uh, Breath of Fire Two changed, introduced a lot of things into RPGs that had not existed before, in in a lot of profound ways, and was awful. Um, <laughs> is like totally unplayable now. Um, so like it's it's not enough to just revolutionize what can be done in an RPG, but to also do that and be great, um, and be replayable twenty or thirty, gosh, thirty five years later. Oh, my entire body just convulsed. <laughs> Final Fantasy VII is not that old, is it? Uh, well, that's like that's like FF one. What's like seven? Like, yeah, that's getting up there. But like you know, we're we're coming on that time. Like it's thirty years basically for Final Fantasy. Thirty years next year for Final Fantasy VI. Yeah. Um, yikes. Um. Uh. You know, but to to be relevant all this time later, and to also and but also to have changed the genre, um, so profoundly is uh that that's just makes me just in awe of six and seven yeah i mean i like ff4 like it was my first one that's why it's, it's very simple uh no i played with my mom i was a kid you know and my mom liked rpgs and you know she's like fancy but she like rpgs so it was the first one i played it was like one of the first game one of the only kinds of games that she would buy um and so uh uh yeah it just like holds a special like place in my my nostalgia brain and 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 like when I know like it got universally panned, but like when Final Fantasy IV: The After Years dropped on Wii and they were like eking it out like a couple chap like one or two chapters at a time, like every time they did that, like I would go and visit my mom and we we play and and it was really cool to see these characters again and and uh, you know even though it's not really the best game, like it was like I really liked that, um, but yeah, no four is easily my favorite. Yeah, after years, I liked the core chapters of After Years. It was mostly the ending that kind of lost me because it just went way off the deep end. Oh yeah, the the, the balancing just got like, and now you're gonna yeah. grind until you're 99, and and then you're gonna beat the game and fight every single boss from every prior Final Fantasy game to date. Gosh, yeah, it was but, yeah. So no, much. I, I really like those core chapters, like just bringing out you know not just the same characters but new characters, and uh, yeah, like I like character driven games, man. It's it's a, I love the, you know the Trails games and. FF4 was like, I don't know, the first Trails game. <laughs> yeah. FF4 rules. Yeah, it's a fun game. When uh, I'm curious also, when you guys replayed it recently, what version did you all replay? Because there's like remaster, so yeah. many yeah. good versions. Pixel Remaster? Yeah, we yeah. all played the Pixel Remaster. The quality of life was enormous. They, they, yeah. ha- they cut the encounter rate in half and doubled the XP. So you get like a nice, flowing, dense thing that's not as exactly as long as it needs to be without any additional grinding. And I turned up, I turned on the four XXP multiplier at the end. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. That didn't stop me from grinding. I was like, okay, this enemy will drop a giant's glove with a one in 128 chance. I'm just gonna like save scum until I get that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I play games wrong. So <laughs> well, everybody plays things their own way. There's no no wrong way really. For Final Fantasy IV, for me, the first way I ever played it was on the DS version, which I learned way after Ooh. is like hard mode, oh, and I did yeah. not know that. They changed like the formulas and the mechanics and like added stuff. It was yeah, it, it was a doozy. It was really difficult. But then I played the uh, PSP version like a couple years ago, and I was like, "Huh, this game is way easier than I remember." <laughs> yo, yo, yeah. That's that. That one is my. I think my probably my favorite one. All right. Well, I think this about wraps things up then. Uh, again, I really want to thank you guys for coming on to the show. I had a great time. Um, before we get going, though, why don't you tell our beautiful listeners where they can find you on social media and how they can support Quartet? Yeah. Well, first of all, we had, yeah, great time. I loved all the compliments, especially. So I'm make sure to do this again. <laughs> Makes me feel really good. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, you can find us uh, on Twitter at something classic. It's C 
L-A-S-S-C, no I at the end, something classic on Twitter, or our Discord is a great place to hang if you love RPGs, you just want to, you know, shoot the breeze with us about it, uh, discord.gg slash something classic, um, you can look up Quartet on Steam, just search Quartet on Steam and you should find it, free demo, and uh, yeah, hope to see y'all on one of those social medias. Um, yeah, I'm at mostly on Twitter. If you want to contact me, um, uh, I'm at Pat Makes RPGs. Uh, since that is now my full time job, nine year old me would be thrilled. Um, <laughs> my nine year old me didn't understand that it is a job. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I also have a, a website um, where you can find out more about my books. There's like large cha- sample chapters of my books available for free. Um, it's thegamedesignforum.com. Yeah, I don't have anything to add. Just- Twitter, uh, wishlist us on Steam. Uh, yeah, Twitter, it's without the I, it's because Twitter has a limit. You can only have 15 characters <laughs> in your name. So, Well, thanks for that. And once again, I've been Ryan. You can find me on Twitter at MidshelfRyan. But honestly, I've been taking a social media break lately. So interacting on our Discord is the best way to find me. And thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Third, Third Impact Anime Podcast. If you like what you heard on this episode, definitely check out our content, content archives on thirdimpactanime.com where you can see all the previous anime series and conventions we've reviewed, as well as our other special guest interviews. If you want to support the podcast financially and access the ability to submit episode requests, head over to patreon.com slash thirdimpactanime to do so. You can find the podcast on a number of social media sites, including the new Threads app, but really our Discord is the best place to find us, so find the link to join on our website. Again, that's thirdimpactanime.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. I don't know how your closing music sounds, but...